Blessed are the Binary Breakers, a podcast all about the intersections between gender and faith. Let me start with a bit about me and why I'm making this podcast. My name is Avery Smith. I'm a non-binary seminarian. I'm the creator of the Queerly Christian Tumblr blog, and I'll be the one hosting this series. There are a ton of wonderful resources for trans people of faith out there. There's more and more springing up every year. I want to be part of that effort to ensure that everyone has access to a wide variety of media, websites, videos, books, communities, that can support them on their gender journey. Furthermore, a lot of the resources currently out there are for one specific faith group, or feature the voices primarily of those who have an academic background in religion, or who are ordained ministers. I hope to interview people of all sorts of faith traditions and who occupy different levels or roles in their communities, from the minister who leads services to the person who just comes and sits in the pews quietly. This podcast will be a space for trans and non-binary people of a whole variety of backgrounds and belief systems to share their diverse experiences. Whether that's growing up in one faith and leaving it for another one, leaving religion altogether, whether that's about finding the divine in every aspect of your transition, or setting your relationship status with God to, it's complicated. Whether you worship in a community, or by yourself, or not at all. I hope that this podcast will become a treasure trove of stories and wisdom from those of us who are transgender and have any sort of relationship to faith. Hearing the stories of people who have encountered the same questions, obstacles, and joys that you have can be such a source of life. Through this podcast, I hope to add to that collection of stories. And I hope that as that collection grows, The wisdom and blessings that trans people can offer faith communities becomes more and more evident. So without further ado, let's dive into this first episode. Just to let you know before we start, the following audio was recorded before I purchased the microphone that I'm currently using for this introduction. So hang in there if the audio is not perfect quality, and hopefully future episodes will sound a little bit better. Now, I will normally be the one conducting the interviews in this series, but for today, I will be the one being interviewed by my lovely fiancé, Leah, who has joined me in my childhood bedroom to record this episode. Leah, do you want to say hello? (laughs) Hello, everybody. Now, Leah is not trans. She is probably the only cisgender person who will appear in this series. Um, Just because she's helping me out by being the one to interview me today. Um, Please forgive us if we encounter any audio difficulties. (laughs) Such as me trailing off awkwardly and leaving Leah to finish my sentences. This is the first time either of us has done anything like this. Also, Leah keeps doing gestures that you will not be able to see. 
Um, so that's I can't help it. I talk with my hands. Um, But yeah, a little bit more about the two of us. I am 24 years old and she is 25. She currently studies audiology in Atlanta, Georgia, while I study um, Jesus thing. (laughs) I'm currently aiming to get my Master's of Divinity and... I'm doing an independent study on transgender theology, and starting this podcast is part of my goals for that study I am doing. All right. You want to get into it? Yeah, I'll pass the reins over to you since you're the one conducting this interview. All right. The very first question is, who are you? Who Who are you and how did you get into this house? (laughs) Well, like I said, my name is Avery. Um, I use they, them pronouns. I grew up in Ohio, which is where we currently are. Though I attended the University of Alabama for undergrad, um, studied English and Spanish and Latin there. I'm a great lover of languages, of poetry, of the Bible, um, of social justice. And so that eventually led me into seminary. But before I ever got to that point, I was Catholic. I was raised Catholic. My parents are both Irish Catholic, as most people in this area of Cleveland are. And so they gave me some children's Bibles, you know, the ones with the pictures and very few sentences in them to read while I was growing up. Um, And they also took me and my siblings to church every weekend, Um, typically Saturday evenings, not Sunday mornings, because that's something you can do in Catholic land. I would say that I was always the most religious of my siblings and parents um, for whatever reason because while my parents did, you know, take us to church and had me go to these hour-long religious classes every Monday up until eighth grade, that was about all they did to sort of introduce me to faith. Um, The rest I just sort of did on my own. And what were those other, you mentioned kind of, connecting with faith on your own apart from your family structure mm-hmm. other than like youth sort of activities mm-hmm. what did you do on your own oh yeah I tried to pray every day you also read the bible a lot right oh yeah in um ninth grade was the first time that I read the bible the actual non-abridged bible not the children's versions that I'd grown up with I read the actual Bible all the way through um, during Lent in ninth grade. I gave up novels for Lent, and I read a lot. So I was able to finish the whole Bible in those 40 days. And so I was able to pick out the overarching themes in this text that is really a compilation, uh, a compilation of so many separate texts and books by different authors. Um, Doing that, picking out those overarching themes, I found that they were things like God always listening for listening to the oppressed. Um, when the Hebrews cry out in Egypt, God hears and responds. When prophets and um, people like Hagar, they cry out to God, and God hears and responds. And so, like, from, you know, from a very young age with children's Bibles, and then once I read the real Bible, the whole Bible, I saw that overarching theme. And so then in college... When I started realizing I was queer, I knew that a lot of 
Christians, um, such as the Catholic background I had, and I always sort of accepted it without questioning until I had reason to question that, you know, they said that the Bible says that being LGBT is a sin. Um, but once I started really thinking about it, the Bible that I knew was a Bible for oppressed and marginalized people. It was for people like us. Um, and so that was really helpful. And at that same time, I also found, you know, I started doing research. Um, I found websites like Hope Remains and books like God and the Gay Christian to help me with the sexuality aspect of my queerness. But it was harder to find things about the being trans, you know, being non-binary, that aspect of my queerness. There's not as many books out there, especially non-academic ones that are just being circulated widely. Um, but I found Austin Hartke's videos. You know how much I mm -hmm. love him. Yeah, Austin Hartke. Um, his YouTube videos are what really, really rescued me from my confusion about whether the gender aspect of my queerness was okay. If, you know, what I'd been told that God had made me a girl and so I just had to deal with that was true or not. Um, it was his videos that showed me, it was like I had read all those stories in the Bible that he would talk about, but he was showing me how to read them with a queer lens. And so that was really helpful to have that biblical background. Um, and so I encourage people to read their Bible and don't listen just to what churches tell you when they say, you know, oh, well, the Bible says that this thing is wrong or this thing is right. Actually read it and find out for yourself. You should tell everyone about when you used to preach to your dolls. Oh, I did do that, yeah. When I was really little, um, one of my earlier memories is lining up all my dolls and stuffed animals after going to Mass um, have, having heard the homily that Father Tim gave, I remember going home pretty often, um, probably not every week, but if it was a homily I liked, I would go and try to retell that homily in my own version to all my dolls and stuffed animals. Um, and I would use my Father Tim voice, which is just be very loving and sincere and gen, you know, genuine, um, like I heard him do. I wanted to be a Catholic priest um, before learning that they only allow people who are assigned male at birth to be a priest, so I had to let that one go. And so for a long time then I thought maybe I would be a nun. I have a lot of nuns in my family. By a lot, I mean two, so okay, not that many. But, <laughs> but both of those nuns are, one is my great aunt and another is an aunt, and they both were pretty influential on me, especially in middle school and high school. Um, and so the idea of following in their footsteps made a lot of sense to me. I could see the good that they were giving to the world. Um, and, you know, so I figured that could be the path that I was called to follow. And just there, you we've already kind of touched on how gender intersected with your choices and your mm -hmm. path in life when mm -hmm. it came to faith. But can you talk a little bit about your story yeah. and your gender? Yeah, yeah. So... I think I learned about the concept of someone being transgender before I learned that being gay could be a thing. Because I remember in seventh grade, I found a newspaper article that framed it as a little girl who wanted to be a boy, aka it was a trans guy. Um, but it didn't, it didn't, the newspaper did not use the language I would consider appropriate, but it was my first 
look at that. I had no idea. And at that point, I had just reached puberty, like barely. I hadn't even started my period yet, but I had gotten the health class talk about what was going to happen to my body. And I was terrified and upset and I did not want it to happen. And so when I read that article about this girl who wanted to be a boy, it really resonated with me, but also didn't quite fit me because he wanted to be a boy. He wanted um, to be just like his brothers. It kept The article kept saying things about how he wanted to stand up when he could pee, and I could not relate to that. I did not want to be a man at all. I, like, if I had to pick, so I figured at that point, and this was, you know, in my early days, sort of right before and then during puberty, I was like, okay, so I have, I, I can pick. There is a little bit of choice, but the only choice I knew was I can pick to be a girl or a boy. If I had to pick one, I guess I'll be a girl. And so I went through puberty, I like just sobbed when I had to start wearing bras and shaving my legs. Um, just the concept of going into public and being seen as a girl made me so upset and self-conscious. Um, and so I would wear, you know, these hoodies every day to try and sort of cover up my... Even in the summer? Yeah. Yeah, I would wear sweatshirts even in the summer to cover up my figure. Not that I had much of one. But to me, it just felt so obvious, like surely everyone's staring at my boobs that even though there barely was anything there at that point, I was so self-conscious. And what I now know as dysphoria, this distress over what people say my body means about my gender and then what people, because of what my body says to them, they read me as female. And that just made me really uncomfortable. And so, you know, I was not a very social person. Part of that is by nature. I'm introverted and I like having fewer friends that I have deep relationships with rather than a ton of friends but part of it was I would purposely stay home because then no one could see me and hide up in my room all day um and I really loved the saints like Joan of Arc who was you know she was assigned female at, female at birth but she put on a soldier's outfit cut her hair and ran around with the men and so to me I was you know, I loved those stories of the female saints who didn't go by their society's gender roles. They would shirk marriage. They wouldn't marry men. They would um, cut their hair and refuse to be mothers and wives. And so as a Catholic, I was glad to have those stories available to me of these women who are lifted up, sometimes for the wrong reasons, this idea of virginity being the reason it was virtuous but for me at that point in my life it was very helpful to see that I didn't have to marry a man and be a wife um to a man because that that played into my gender issues in a way that was really distressing um but yeah finally I went to college I met Leah um and I also found tumblr.com yes I am one of those non-binary people who found out that was a thing through tumblr and um that is valid to <laughs> to use that word um, because it was the first time some some post on Tumblr mentioned non-binary genders and it was like a flash of lightning. Um, just the the revelation that there were people like me who did not feel like they fit into these binary genders of male and female that Western society presses on all of us. 
So I read all these stories online about different non-binary people and how the experiences can be so different, how it was okay to be feminine, like what society calls feminine and still not be a girl. Because I really did like dolls growing up and I love to sew and I love poetry and I hate sports. So these things that society says, well, then why wouldn't you want to be a girl? You like all these girly things. Um, you know, I learned online that's okay. Like I can have traits that are considered feminine while still not being a girl. It's always so funny because in contrast, me as a cis girl, yeah. I tend to be the one who has the more quote unquote masculine yes. interests. Yes. Like the other day I was really into the football game uh, and you were just there because you love me. Yeah. Yeah. She's definitely the more masculine of the two of us. And yet she's the one who will sometimes put on more makeup, you know, and where um, sometimes likes to dress more girly and sometimes less so. Um, I think we're both a pretty good mix of what society calls masculine and feminine. But yeah, it is that like gender is so weird that way, because to me, it's so clear that I am non-binary and not a girl. And yet she, like and while having these feminine traits, while Leah, as far as I know, like you've never questioned being a girl. Mm-hmm. Like Leah is happily and comfortably cisgender and female, um, despite loving sports and all these things that society claims are boy things. Yeah. I was just always described as a tomboy and mm-hmm. really leaned into that. Yeah. And I just had a lot of like leeway. I feel like in particular being from the South, like a tomboy girl is even like better like mm. than like a, a sissy quote unquote Ugh. like a sissy girl. Like a tomboy That's girl awful. is like even better more valued because you're you can do all of the like hunting and all the other stuff that goes on that's so Um, messed up it's just a different different (laughs) cultural value yeah and that like i feel like that saying that makes us need to address the idea of like internalized misogyny because anyone growing up in this messed up society is going to have sexist tendencies that that girls who are obsessed with makeup are somehow more vapid or less intelligent, which is ridiculous. And so I know, like, you with the color pink. Oh, I hated pink. I hated pink for my whole life until, like, two years ago, and now I love pink. Yeah, and now when I buy (laughs) Leah presents, I I look for pink stuff because pink is her favorite color now. And, like, one thing that people will tell trans men and non-binary people who were assigned female at birth, what they'll tell us is that we don't want to be girls because of internalized misogyny, that we just hate womanhood. We've been taught to hate ourselves, so we really are girls, but our internalized misogyny is so bad that we don't want to be girls anymore. And while I get where they're coming from, because it's true, I have absorbed a lot of misogyny, just like anyone in the society That's not why I'm trans. I'm not a girl who hates being a girl. I'm a non-binary person who, through realizing that I am non-binary, has actually come to unpack some of the misogyny I've absorbed. I feel like in exploring my own gender identity and my femininity as it exists apart from womanhood has helped me really come to respect women for my own gender. I tend to say that I identify strongly with women, even though I do not identify as a woman. So I think that's, you know, that sort of 
something that cisgender people, transgender people, we all need to work through the crap that society tells us about gender. Um, and that's part of my calling if, to move on into that. I feel like part of my calling as a non-binary person is to help other people do that work. Like I had to do that work and I see gender in a unique way because of my status outside of the binary. And so I can be part of that educating effort that everyone of every gender has to do in this society. And I also approach that as a person of faith. For me, my calling to sort of help educate people about queer issues is very much intertwined with my calling to help, um, you know, serve people in the body of Christ. And maybe serve as a voice for people who are willing, but they just don't know. Like, you've done yeah. so many trans workshops mm -hmm. um, in different places, and, and pretty much all of your official ministry, I yeah. guess we would say, has been in more conservative regions of the country. It's been in oh, yeah. Alabama mm -hmm. and Kentucky, yeah. um, where, where people may not just have, may not have as much access to mm -hmm. information that they need. Yeah. Like my, um, through seminary, I've been able to work with churches that are considered, um, I'm PCUSA, Presbyterian, the progressive branch. And so we have more light, um, is the affiliation of Presbyterian churches that want to be affirming of LGBT individuals. Um, but so many of those more light churches have not done the work yet of what that means about how do you affirm and welcome trans and non-binary people. They were progressive for the 1990s, but yeah. they haven't updated their mm -hmm. views. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so that is, yeah, my, so much of my calling has been about bringing them that information that those churches sometimes want. You know, they want to be educated and they just haven't started it. So I'm have been able to help them start that work. So, you know, just to say that, like, I feel like being trans is part of how God made me very intentionally in order to shape me towards this purpose that God has given me. God has called me to do this work, and being genderqueer is part of that. And on my handy-dandy note card that I was uh, prepped with beforehand, <laughs> um, the only thing we haven't touched on in the calling section is marriage, which I, as your fiancé, am very interested oh, yeah. to hear about. Yeah, I just, I personally see at least three sort of branches in my vocation. One is the one that people think of when you hear the word vocation, the first thing you might think of, at least me as a Catholic, is priesthood or pastorhood or being a nun, those ordained ministries. Um, so for me, one branch of my vocation is to be a pastor. I really feel called to being a pastor and serving a church in that regard. Um, and then, like I just mentioned, I see being genderqueer, being non-binary as part of the calling God gave me to be open about my transness in ways that help other people learn um, about the diversity of gender and that nothing is as binary as we want it to be. In God, there truly is no male and female, meaning that, that binary, as Paul writes it in um, Galatians 3.28. There is no binary male and female. And then, yes, my, the third branch of my calling is marriage, that I do see myself as called to marry Leah, um, who is of the same assigned gender as I am. And so back when I was Catholic, um, 
you know, officially Catholic, only Catholic, that was not a path that was really open to me. I could not marry Leah in a Catholic church. I could not pursue a ordained ministry um, of the kind to which I feel called in a Catholic church. And so I had to move beyond Catholicism. I had to become a... I had to become a member of a denomination that would allow me as a queer person to marry the person I felt called to marry and to be a pastor. And, you know, leaving the Catholic Church was one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make. I really love Catholicism. It's hard to explain to people who didn't grow up in it what the reverence of it, the sacraments, the saints, the Eucharist what all of those mean to me. They're really precious. But the Catholic Church with its doctrines was choking me. I felt strangled and blocked from my callings. So I had to go. God called me to go outward. And in the end, I am so thankful to have left the Catholic Church because it turns out I didn't leave it. I was not kicking Catholicism out of my heart. I was just expanding my heart so that Protestantism could fit in too. I've come to love a lot about the Presbyterian Church. I like the idea of being reformed and always reforming. I like the celebration of diversity that I find in the Presbyterian churches I'm part of. I like the way things get voted on, um, decided on together. But that hasn't quenched my love for saints or the Catholic Eucharist. I feel like there's a wedding of Catholicism and Protestantism in my heart. Joining them together, even though everyone says that they're too different, too divisive to join together. It's all about breaking binaries wherever I see them. Being non-binary taught me that, I think. But anyway, I should get back to talking about how exactly my movement into the Presbyterian Church happened back in undergrad. So Leah and I, our junior year of college, found a little church outside, right outside the University of Alabama that is now called Grace Presbyterian Church. Highly recommend it to anyone in the Tuscaloosa area. They're to, fantastic. Yes, to go visit because when Leah and I went there, we were still going through our angsty period of like, oh gosh, are we, are we allowed to be yeah. together? I are like we... you, but like it's wrong, and yeah. I want to be with you, oh, but I can't. But what if God hates us for it? <laughs> and yeah, and like that, that guilt and that worry that even when things felt so right, when we could see the good fruit that our relationship was having. Um, even, even with all that, this fear, um, Grace Presbyterian Church, when we found them, helped us feel, you know, calm, find rest and hope and joy, um, because we were surrounded by all these other LGBT people and couples and people who loved us, um, as we were. And now when we visit, it literally feels like family. Yes. And I've never, and yes. I've grown up in church also my whole life, and I've never been able to say that mm -hmm. about anywhere I've ever been to. Yeah. All right, so last thing, what would you like to tell trans and non-binary people of faith? What words of wisdom oh, yeah. would you give? Oh, gosh, yeah. I'm the one who wrote this note card with questions, and <laughs> did I think of an answer to this? No. 
I think what I'd like to say is that you should always keep exploring and hoping and dreaming bigger. People see being trans and non-binary as suffering, always suffering, and there's a lot of pain in it thanks to the transphobia in the world, but you can enjoy it too. The journey doesn't have to be only pain and guilt and fear. It can be fun. It can be so fun to try on new clothes that you weren't allowed to wear before or to try on different pronouns or names and just kind of explore that. And I was so lucky enough to be part of your journey and, yeah. and getting to yeah. get happy with you over stuff like like top surgery mm -hmm. and, and, and you know, yeah. finding a name that fit and all of that fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's so wonderful to have people like that in your corner. And if you don't feel like you have people like that right now, reach out to us on Queerly Christian on Twitter or Tumblr, and we will be that person for you. I want to turn that question back towards you, Leah, since this is probably the only episode where we'll have a token cisgender person. Um, what would you say to cisgender people um, of faith who are LGB or who are straight, any cis people who want to be good allies to the trans and non-binary people in their lives? Because you tend to be a pretty good ally to me. What advice do you have for them? Well, I feel like I'm a good ally because I have learned to listen. Mm -hmm. If I do something that's transphobic, even if I that even if that is not my intention, because mm -hmm. I know so many many people get defensive when somebody is like, "Hey, what you said was transphobic. What you mm -hmm. said was not cool." They're like, "Oh, well, like I I I'm not like like no, like yeah. it's not a commentary on your character. It's just maybe there's something underlying that you haven't thought mm -hmm. about before." So to take that moment and just learn from it and try to take your defenses down yeah. when that does happen. Um, and also to learn our history, learn like the, the queer community's history and the history of uh, your faith community. Mm -hmm. um, out Again, kind of tying back to the whole, not just taking what faith leaders say at face value, yeah. looking back in and seeing who has really played a part in establishing where we are today yeah that's awesome all right i think that wraps up our interview yeah we've given them our parting words um i'm thankful for the opportunity to be a part of this <laughs> very very first yeah. episode and i am excited to yeah. see it to continue it's always nice to have you along for the ride that's that's what that marriage calling is all about <laughs> But yeah, that wraps up the first episode of Blessed Are the Binary Breakers. Please feel free to let me know what you thought or um, any questions or comments that you have. Feel free to send those to queerlychristian.tumblr.com. And until next time, go break some binaries and be a blessing to the world with your life.